Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. When this happened, you talked about it on The Fan. Testaverde will take the snap, go to one knee. This game is over. The Jets lock up their first playoff appearance since 1991 on a 21-16 victory over the Miami Dolphins. When New York sports happens, talk about it here. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the free Odyssey app. Right back at it on The Fan. Joining us right now, the author of the new book, Father of Mine, inspired by true events set in 1973. Father of Mine crafts a compelling and suspenseful tale by using actual activities of the organized crime ring in Wheeling and by exploring the tensions that arise when a father who didn't think he cared about his son's chosen path realizes that he does. Ebook has been reduced to $3.99 on Amazon. It's Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk. What's up, Mike? Boy, that was good. I wish I was recording that. I like that. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Thanks for joining us tonight. And uh, I started my show tonight saying I've got NFL fatigue. I love the game of football, but uh, when I look at this Final Four, I'm like, it's Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and the Chiefs again. Oh, the 49ers right back in another NFC championship. The Ravens, I know they've had different iterations of it, but they're a successful organization that – just finds their way back here. And I guess we've got one Cinderella, one team that never does this really in the Lions, but they've been building towards this all year. These are four division winners. I feel like you could call this Final Four maybe by week 14. What do you say to that? Was this predictable for you? Do you feel like this is the same guys again? Or do you think this year's a little different? Well, look, both of the number one seeds won this weekend. And we have seen in the past that when that team in either conference that earns a bye week, takes the foot off the gas in the final week of the regular season and comes up against a team that had to go all out in week 18 to get to the playoffs and then won a playoff game in the wild card round. They come into that matchup with a lot more confidence and can sometimes catch the one seed flat-footed. We saw it for the first half between the Texans and the Ravens. I don't know what the Ravens said at halftime. I'd love to bottle it and sell it, though, because it worked incredibly well. And then we saw the 49ers get taken down to the very end by the Packers. Both those teams were favored by nine and a half. So even though the one seeds won, there was some excitement in those games. The Lions-Bucks game was close. It was back and forth. It was tied 10-10 at the half, and the Buccaneers looked like they had a chance. You know, the Lions have not been overwhelming in their two games at home in the postseason, although they did cover the spread yesterday of six and a half points, biggest postseason spread ever in the Lions' playoff history, which is not a very long one, but still – favored by six and a half with something they'd never been before, and they did cover, but it was closer than that. And then the only upset, the Chiefs beating the Bills, something we've seen time and again. And it was an exciting game. The Bills at one point late in the fourth quarter looked like they were going to win the game. It looked like they were going to try to figure out how to take the clock down to zero and not give the Chiefs 13 or more seconds to drive down the field and force overtime or win it. But we saw what we saw, and it was exciting. The numbers are through the roof. The NFL is king. 
And are we stunned by the Final Four? I picked the Chiefs and 49ers to get to the Super Bowl. I frankly didn't have the Ravens or the Lions, I think, even in the playoffs back in September. But, you know, we see who's left. And I think both games could go either way this weekend. That's all we can really ask for. And we've seen enough this year to know. Whenever you think you have it figured out, you find out you're wrong. I can see both the Chiefs and the Lions winning. I can see the home teams winning. And we just tune in Sunday and see what happens. Here's another thought for you. I I spoke on how the Bills seem to be the lovable losers, how we feel for them. Wide right. Oh, no, this is history repeating itself. Josh Allen can't get over the hump of beating Josh Mahomes and, you know, the Bills Mafia and their fans, like, they're in pain again. The other home team to lose in these playoffs, not in the divisional round, but the wild card round, the Dallas Cowboys, complete opposite, right? These shows thrive off of Cowboys' tears. They can talk for hours about the failure of the Dallas Cowboys. Fire everyone. Dak Prescott's no good. Uh, Jerry Jones is just going through the motions. Both of these franchises have failed a ton and have come up short since the early 90s. The Bills still trying to figure out how to win some. They can't say that they've you know won a Super Bowl. They've been to some championships. What do you think it is that just separates how we feel about the Cowboys and how we feel about the Buffalo Bills? Well, the Cowboys have been polarizing for decades now. They have their five Super Bowl championships. They would love to get another one. At least Jerry Jones likes to say he'd love to get another one. I don't know whether his actions match up with his words. The Bills, on the other hand, have never gotten a Super Bowl win, and they're 30 years removed from their last Super Bowl appearance, and they've got one of the great quarterbacks in the NFL. I feel like both teams are lacking the urgency to get over the top. The Cowboys decide last week to stay with Coach Mike McCarthy to the surprise of many. Now the question this week, and I just wrote something about this at ProFootballTalk.com. We talked about it today on our show PFT Live that's on Peacock and Sirius XM 85 from 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern every weekday. The idea that you've got so many great coaches available, Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel, Jim Harbaugh, even a Pete Carroll. Is it time for the Bills to sit down and ask themselves, can we do better than Sean McDermott? Do we owe it to ourselves, the franchise, and the city to try to do better? Are we just lather, rinse, repeat with Sean McDermott? And I, I hate to be perceived as advocating that they fire Sean McDermott, but you know what? Coaches and general managers all, all the time sit down and they look at their roster and they say, is there somebody out there better than who we have? Is there somebody better on the roster who isn't playing, who should be playing? That same standard applies to the coaches and the general managers. And I think it's fair for Terry Pagula to at least entertain the possibility. Is there somebody better who can get more out of the remaining years of Josh Allen's prime? And maybe the answer is yes. And maybe that's what it's going to take to get the Bills over the top. I saw Fire McDermott trending on X earlier tonight. I think a lot of Bills fans have realized that if you keep getting the same result with the same formula, you got to change the formula at some point. And they're six years into Josh Allen's career. I don't know how many more he has in his prime but I'm surprised they haven't made it to a Super Bowl yet. And I think it just creates more urgency to try to get there. Yeah, I, I know they were banged up, but I felt like this is the year they've been, you know, playing for their seasons, for their for their lives the last six weeks, you know, having to win games. And I thought that this was their year getting Mahomes on the road. But obviously, uh, that's another, you know, notch in Andy Reid and, and Mahomes belt. Like, they, they go on the road, Bill's Mafia knock them off. Uh, here's something that you wrote about on January 20th. I've been talking about... Dak Prescott, uh, Mikey and Queens called, and he's a Cowboys fan. I'm a Cowboys fan, and we're talking about Dak Prescott and uh, his extension. And I think some fans are getting it confused that 
Mike McCarthy has one more year on his deal, and they don't have to renew that deal. That can be a let's see what happens. If you don't win the Super Bowl, you're probably gone. But Dak Prescott coming off of putting up MVP numbers in the final year of his four-year extension that he got, I've been saying to the listeners at WFAN, they never believed in the guy. They drafted him fourth round. They didn't renew his rookie deal. They tagged him, and then in lieu of tagging him again, they gave him this four-year extension. Here we go. The four years is already about to be up. No pun intended with the here we go. Like, Dak Prescott is the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. So talking about doing the same things, expecting different results, they're locked in with a guy that they've they could have paid him nothing. They could have gave him a long-term deal. They could have taken his rookie deal, gave him a nut. Before he got to this level, they could have saved a lot of money on him, and that's also going to hurt them as they have to pay Micah Parsons and CeeDee Lamb. What do you say to all that? They painted themselves into a corner the way they handled Dak Prescott. He yeah. had a fourth-round pick. After the third year of his rookie contract, when he was due to make $2 million in the final year of that four-year rookie deal because he wasn't a first-round pick, it was just a four-year contract, they didn't give him an extension. They had him for that fourth year at a very low salary. Then they decided for the fifth year to apply the franchise tag, and it was that extra year, year six, in lieu of the second franchise tag, which if he had just played it out, then he becomes Kirk Cousins, and he goes anywhere he wants because they wouldn't have tagged him a third time because it would have been a 44% bump over what would have been a $37 million salary in year six of his career. They worked out this four-year $160 million contract, and I remember crunching the numbers when it all was done, and we reported the numbers, and I broke it all down, and it's like, man, they have to redo this thing before the final year of the contract because the cap number is $59.4 million. How are they going to have a team on the field when 25% of the cap this year is under the name of Dak Prescott? He's got tremendous leverage. And let me tell you, they're lucky he had a good year because they were going to be painted even more tightly into this corner in 2024, even if he threw 15 interceptions against 23 touchdown passes like he did in 2022. The fact that he had a good year makes it easier to justify what's coming. They have to extend this contract. They have to chop down that cap number. They have to kick the can. Their only alternative is to come up with a way to put a team on the field for one more year at 59-4, and then next year he walks away free and clear. They can't tag him. He's a free agent in 2025 if they don't extend him now. And then next year, even if they take the 59.4 this year, next year he counts for over $35 million against the cap in dead money from dollars he's already received. That, see, that's the problem. When we see these long-term deals, a lot of teams structure them so the cap numbers are low early, but it always comes back to bite you in the ass at some point. And the Cowboys are being bit now. They're going to be bit next year. And their only real path out of this maze is give Dak Prescott a, a contract that pays him a ton of money, lowers the cap numbers, and then sets up that reckoning for some point down the road. Yeah, and I don't think there's anyone in that building or outside that building that feels like Dak Prescott can lead the team to a Super Bowl and get over his playoff demon. So we've just seen it too much. We've seen the interceptions, the bad throws, looking like he's a deer in headlights, and and that's what they've signed up for. And I attribute it to Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones not having like an actual – I mean, no, they, I know they have guys, but you need an actual GM in there that could have told you, like, hey, you know, like you just said, this is going to bite you in the ass down the road. Like, it's a fourth-round pick. You didn't pick up his, his money. Like, they, they've painted themselves into the corner. Like, Dak Prescott has all the leverage. He's he's getting paid. He's getting paid like one of the top quarterbacks in the league. Let's talk about uh, one of the highest-paid quarterbacks in the league and Lamar Jackson. How crazy is his situation coming off of last year, right, when they tag him? 
And supposedly anybody could have matched the offer and got Lamar Jackson in the NFL, all of the teams, whatever. Nobody was interested. There was like eight teams that came out right away to say they had no interest. I think the Falcons were one. And when you look at the Falcons quarterback situation, of course they could have used the uh, eventual MVP in this season that might actually get his team back to the Super Bowl there in the AFC Championship. Can we talk about Lamar's contract? Uh, how you know smart the Ravens look as I give them props all night for having a good GM, front office, head coach. And, you know, Lamar Jackson's opportunity here to beat Mahomes and go to the Super Bowl like he promised on draft night. Well, and here's the key. I think that the reaction to the Deshaun Watson five-year fully guaranteed $46 million per year contract, mm-hmm. total of $230 million that happened a year earlier, is what made everyone leery about aggressively pursuing Lamar Jackson with a fully guaranteed contract, five years, 250, or whatever the case may be. And that's why the master stroke by the Ravens and GM Eric DaCosta was to apply the non-exclusive franchise tag, allowing him to be available to any other team that wanted to offer him a contract. If he had signed it, the Ravens would have had a chance to match it. Maybe they wouldn't have matched it. And even if they had matched it, you're forcing the Ravens to pay more than they want to pay if you do make that offer. That's what was so ludicrous about it. That's why it smells like collusion. And what collusion means, basically, you know, there are certain rules that apply to all 32 teams that are negotiated in the collective bargaining agreement because it's a multi-employer bargaining unit with 32 different companies that come together with the same workforce. When you start adding separate terms, conditions, rules, and approaches that aren't articulated in that labor deal, you are committing collusion violations. There is a pending collusion case about the failure and refusal of teams to give guaranteed contracts, fully guaranteed, to certain veteran quarterbacks, specifically Lamar Jackson. That thing is still percolating behind the scenes with owners being questioned under oath. And that's got the potential to be a big mess because once the Deshaun Watson deal was done, that's when there was the blowback against the Browns. You had a couple of owners come out and say, oh, this is going to make it harder to do business, including Ravens owner Steve Bishotti. And that's what created the atmosphere that caused no one to try to sign Lamar Jackson, and they've been making excuses. Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, has made a couple of different excuses that conflict with each other about why they didn't do it. The bottom line is he was available to anyone. If you're willing to make an offer the Ravens don't match and you're willing to give up a couple of first-round picks, and a player like Lamar Jackson is worth two first-round picks because with those first-round picks, you have no idea what you're getting. With Lamar Jackson, you know what you're getting, and look at what the Ravens have gotten by keeping him around. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I just I think the Ravens they they drafted him after everyone passed on him, and uh, they had to play the game a certain way. But I don't think that they're worried about the money spent on him now. He had a great year under Todd Munkin, and I really hope he goes the distance and and wins the Super Bowl. Let's bring it home to New York, and and I'll ask two questions: one about the Jets, one about the Giants. Uh, let's start with the Jets. I saw a picture emerge of. Aaron Rodgers with the whole Jets offensive line out at a Vegas Knights game. And uh, it made me think about, you know, Aaron Rodgers is still on his campaign to do right by his teammates. And obviously we're seeing Jordan Love and the Packers and the success that they have had when the Packers decided that they were going to move on from Aaron Rodgers. That was the right move. But now we're all looking to see what are the Jets actually going to do in this offseason where many of us, myself included, have been critical of their decision to run it back with their head coach and all of their coaches with generational talents coming available in the head coaching ring. Um, with Aaron Rodgers and this offensive line, he's trying to you know bond with these guys, with 
what's coming up in this offseason? Like, what do the Jets have to do to end the drought? What's what's the, the top two things that they have to do this offseason so that they can be watching their team in the playoffs next year? Maybe their team can, you know, break up the Patrick Mahomes run or uh, Lamar Jackson run. Like, there's just so many talented teams in the AFC. What do you think that the Jets need to do so that next year actually is the year that they thought this year was going to be? Well, step one, you need more talent, particularly on the offensive line. If Aaron Rodgers had survived beyond the first four snaps of the season, he wouldn't have lasted much longer than that. He was under immediate duress against the Bills on that Monday night opener. He never would have lasted. It's one of the reasons why Zach Wilson struggled. It's one of the reasons why the quarterbacks all year long had a hard time. The offensive line simply isn't good enough. Step number two, when it's time to decide which players are going to add this year, offensive line and elsewhere, ignore Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is a transcendent quarterback. He is a crappy general manager. Give him a seat at the table, but make sure he understands we're not signing the guys you tell us to sign. This isn't the Aaron Rodgers social club. This isn't a surrogate family. This isn't a place where you hang out in a treehouse with your buddies. We want great players. Rodgers said something like, we need character, and we need offensive linemen who are characters, like funny guys that amuse him and entertain him. Screw that. You need guys who can block. You don't need guys that Aaron Rodgers likes hanging out with, and there's too much of that. Aaron Rodgers wants to have his buddies around. They need to tell him right away, we don't care if you like these guys. We care whether or not they can block for you, period. Save the, I want to hang out with people I like until you retire. For now, hang out with people who play better than the guys that you want around, and so they need to ignore him and anything he says about who he wants. God forbid they, they listen to him and bring in David Bakhtiari, who, who has been injured most of the last four years, or any of the other guys that just because he knows them and he's comfortable with them, he wants them there. That is a recipe for failure. They need to ignore him, but they also need to find more talented players, specifically on the offensive line. We're on the phone right now with Mike Florio. His book, Father of Mine, is available for three ninety nine on Amazon. Check it out. One more for you, Mike. Uh, when the Dallas Cowboys lost in the first round and the Eagles lost in the first round, there was some celebrating going on on the fan, obviously, the home of the New York Giants, Giants fans calling in. And the thought was that, oh, these teams are in disarray. They're going to fire their head coaches. They're going to take steps back. This is the year that the Giants can close the gap on the Dallas Cowboys and the Eagles. And I said to myself, that's not true. Nick Sirianni's safe. Mike McCarthy's safe. Pump your brakes on closing the gap. But what I do feel, and I think everyone knows this, and I've been talking about this, the draft capital that they have after this season, picking six overall, having a bunch of picks, and then even the flexibility that they'll have in free agency with the cap and with guys they're going to say goodbye to, some expiring contracts, and then you actually have the formula that we're seeing with these teams that have made it to the Final Four. You have a good GM, or we think you have a good GM. You have a good coach attached to that GM. Now go draft your quarterback, and go fill out the rest of the roster with talent. What do you see for the Giants in this upcoming future and what they'll have to do to close the gap on the two teams that have dominated them in their own division? I think it's actually good news for the Giants. The Cowboys and the Eagles didn't make a coaching change. Now you've got Mike McCarthy clearly on the hot seat as he enters his lame duck year with the Cowboys, and everyone in the locker room knows it, and maybe they're just going to dip in the regular season because he's not going to have the same authority that a coach would have who everyone knows is going to be around for multiple more years. That's what's so weird about it. They issued the statement last Wednesday night singing his praises. We're bringing him back. Oh, but he's not getting a contract extension. Well, if you love him enough to bring him back, 
you should love him enough to give him a new contract. That's good news for the Giants. And this whole thing with the Eagles where they just had one of the strangest collapses I've ever seen. They had horrible body language in the end of the season. Lane Johnson said after last Monday night's loss to the Buccaneers that that body language sends a message to the opposition and it makes it easier to beat them. It just seems like there's a story there to be told that will be fascinating about why the Eagles fell apart, but Sirianni could not get it turned around. And he's going to be on the hot seat next year because they're going to have two new coordinators. And if those coordinators aren't good enough, then everybody's gone after this year. At least that's going to be the belief. So the Giants may benefit from a season of disarray from both of those teams and then the transition the next year. And meanwhile, look, I always go back to the non-glamorous positions on a football team, specifically offensive line, also defensive line. But when you have a great offensive line, you don't notice it. When you have a bad offensive line, you notice it. When the offensive line is getting it done, you notice all the guys who are racking up the yardage and the touchdowns because of what the offensive line is doing. I would keep working on Remember when, I mean, when the Giants won their two Super Bowls this century, it was great offensive line, great defensive line. Yeah. That's going to be the key. And I know Saquon Barkley is a big talking point. What's going to happen with him? There's a lot of running backs out there that can get it done if you block for them. The focal point should be better blockers on one side of the ball and better guys who can disrupt the blocking schemes of the opposing offenses. That's the key to the Giants turning it around. Do the Giants draft a quarterback in this upcoming first round? Interesting question. They're only tied to Daniel Jones for one more year. I think a lot of it depends upon how it falls. And then the question becomes who's there versus what would someone be offering to come up and get whoever is still there when the Giants make their draft pick. And then it becomes a philosophical question of how do you feel about the guy that you can get versus all the additional lottery tickets that you can acquire by getting more picks and moving down. And the more lottery tickets you have, because nobody knows. I don't care how much money and time they spend scouting incoming players. Nobody knows. Look at the Panthers last year with Bryce Young. Nobody knows what a guy's going to do until he gets to the NFL. Get more lottery tickets. Get more opportunities for good players to come in and develop. You draft them well. You develop them well. And you have the nucleus for a team that is going to thrive well into the future. Awesome, Mike. You're the man. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks, Bob. Good talking to you.